0: Sorry, guys. This is unprofessional potting. I'm sorry.
1: You have to tell us who it was, though.
0: Um, uh, <coughs> uh, <laughs> it was the pr- uh, president.
1: Oh, yeah. of, a-
0: of America. Yeah, he came to give me one of the most important medals.
1: Number one medal guy.
0: Yeah, Muzzle. so you're familiar. Thank you. Yeah, I sa- I saved uh, one of the most precious children today from one of the highest trees.
2: Welcome to Watching Movies at the Bar, a podcast about bar movies and movie bars. I'm Thomas, and I am joined by Bethy Squires. Bethy, how's it going?
1: Pretty good. How are you?
2: Really good. Uh, I'm I'm drinking a Mai Tai uh, out of a can.
1: Oh, is it another cut water? Yes, yeah. When will they sponsor us, those cowards? We love their product. They should get on that.
2: I have uh, email receipts. They say if we get more than 30 followers on Twitter, then they'll be okay. willing to engage. Speaking of Twitter followers, tonight we're joined by one of the big ones. I think probably one of the biggest fish. I'm one of the big Twitter followers. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> you are the big
1: account that we're trying to land, like in an episode of Bewitched.
2: Yeah, so tonight we're joined by... I'm really excited about this. We're joined by Jeremy Levick, who, uh, not to be too corny, but makes me laugh harder than almost anyone whenever he he blesses us with one of those videos or even a tweet. So, Jeremy, welcome. Thank you very much. Thanks for
0: having me. That was really kind. And um, I'm, look- I'm looking forward to creating magic with you two tonight. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh so uh jeremy didn't want to talk about tag uh when i asked him yeah. if he wanted to talk tag he said that's hacky you know who do you think i am let's talk something else yeah i i that's
0: that's the old me i'm trying to move past that stage in my career
2: and don't bring up tag again or we're gonna have a problem. <laughs> uh yeah whereas jeremy's tag era uh represents a sort of crass commercialism tonight we're sliding into a more intellectual space we're uh talking about paul thomas anderson's best movie punch drunk love do you think that do you think that's his best movie um i don't know that i think it is empirically his best movie but i think it's my favorite and it's also which it, my favorite as well. It might be my favorite movie too, which makes tonight a little touchier than usual.
1: <laughs> wow. We're not gonna have another Annihilation where I only like sort of like the movie, and somehow it's like I've disappointed my own father with Thomas just getting sadder and sadder as the podcast progresses.
0: Do you normally have pretty similar taste in movies to each other? Uh
1: I don't think so. Not really. Okay. I think uh, Thomas and I are actually closer in opinion and, like, disposition in everything but movies. So that's <laughs> why it's weird that this is a thing that we podcast about, is, like, the, the vibe of bars, the same. Uh, like, attachment style, the same. Uh, most of the ways that we communicate, the same. Probably, like, similar food preferences, drink preferences, but movies wildly divergent. We're also
2: both married to uh, Colin, who edits the podcast, which is... You're both married to him. Yes, yeah. Wow. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you.
1: I mean, he's the one with two spouses, so...
2: Congratulations to him. That's the kudos. I guess it kind of sucks for you guys. Can we get Colin in here and give him kind of a pat on the head? Maybe two...
1: He's actually editing our episode that goes up tomorrow right now, so I'm not going to bring him in for praise when he should be doing hard work.
2: Hell yeah. Well, real heads are going to listen to this and know exactly what episode you were talking about, and that's going to constitute BTS. But in the meantime, Bethy, you've got a question you love to ask at the top of every episode. I love to hear the answer. What What is that?
1: Absolutely. Um, Jeremy, so what is your relationship to watching movies at bars? We've had people who completely like enjoy half paying attention to a movie and then we have like cinephiles that are so uh, precious is not the right word but like involved in the movie going experience they don't want to like belittle it by like having other distractions where do you fall
0: i would say i haven't watched a full movie at a bar like i think it's nice when you're at a bar to see a familiar movie i think that's how i feel If I'm at a bar and there's a TV on and it's playing, like, The Matrix or something, it's kind of fun to half pay attention and be like, oh, he's doing the thing, like, and then it, like, you know, cuts to commercial or something. Do people watch, like, full movies at the bar,
2: like, with sound? I Look, I'm one of two hosts of this podcast and we're (laughs) in the itunes top 10 and i've never watched a full movie at a bar so it's it's less about that it's more about like what Mm. that represents as a counterpoint to conversation and also what it's like to watch something uh in a bar that you would maybe not watch anywhere else the examples Mm. that we keep coming back to are the alexander skarsgard tarzan movie (laughs) and the um the brett ratner hercules both which are like different kinds of pieces of shit um Mm. but that play well in that setting yeah
1: when you say alexander skarsgard tarzan and brett ratner hercules it makes it sound like brett ratner is starring in the movie instead of dwayne the rock johnson
2: (laughs) yeah that really (laughs) yeah i feel like brett ratner is like just wide enough to be kind of like a hercules type what do we think sure
1: thick old neck get him in there
2: uh jeremy how do you feel about brett ratner's politics and also his stature (laughs) kind of in in the larger entertainment industry I support him no matter what. <laughs> you could take that to the bank. Amazing.
1: I have watched a whole movie at a bar, but because it was like one of those times where it's like a screening where people are getting drunk at the screen. Like it's a bar that is oh, playing yeah. a movie. As far as like what like sitting at the bar and a movie is just on in the background, I don't think you're supposed to watch the whole movie. <laughs> I don't I think that's Getting the energy wrong.
0: Yeah. It is funny imagining someone going to a bar and doing that with, like, (laughs) noise around them. And they're sitting, like, (laughs) nose-pressed
2: against this, (laughs) like, watching a full episode of Family Guy or whatever, like, trying to follow the plot. (laughs) That's kind of a honey trap for perverts. Like, if someone comes in and just sort of casually sits for the whole thing, you can't pull their attention away, you should ask them to leave. Yeah. I think so, too.
0: Although... They're distracted by the TV so they can't be perverted to other people. <laughs>
1: <That's> <laughs> it's a true. pervert neutralizing.
0: Yeah, it's a pervert neutralizer. <laughs> it's like, it is like a honeypot in that it traps them. Yeah. And like immobilizes them for a little bit.
2: I guess my only concern is that you know maybe it only traps them for the duration of the feature, but during that time it energizes them. You know, it really revs that pervert engine. <laughs> and so by the time it's over and the TV switches off, it's Tasmanian devil shit.
1: They're fully perved yeah. up.
2: <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's interesting. You
0: gotta be you gotta be careful. Yeah. That's a that's a good takeaway from this podcast, I think, because. <laughs> You're at the bar, be careful, look look around, see who's looking at the TV, and know that they're juicing up.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's This is something we've talked about before, is that having a movie on is also a good way to be able to disengage from non-movie watching perverts or be, by just pretending to be really into the movie. So it's, you know, sometimes you're looking at somebody watching the movie intently, and you're like, oh, perv alert. But sometimes they're actually trying to evade a pervert by faking being into the movie.
2: Oh, shit. Um, Yeah, I have Dennis Quaid's vantage point on in the background. uh, And it's not about avoiding perverts. It's just about staying interested.
1: Yeah, staying on your toes.
2: Dennis Quaid's vantage point is that
0: not the is that the movie with Matthew Fox or is that yeah yeah it is I didn't realize Dennis Quaid was in it as well
2: isn't he in it isn't he on the DVD
0: I I could be wrong I just remember Matthew Fox because I when it came out I was peak lost yeah head
1: Dennis Quaid has a place in my heart because he's in um, breaking away the Bloomington Indiana film the Mm. good one there's like three other bad ones uh, and then also, he was married to Meg Ryan until she left him, and then started dating another Bloomingtonian, John <laughs> Cougar Mellencamp. So I think of him as like <laughs> as has having received Bloomington's bounty and also had things taken away from him for Bloomington. So wow. he's gone like all full circle with that town.
2: Jeremy, are you from Bloomington? Is this a niche? <laughs> uh, yeah, that you occupy. <laughs> we all are, right? Or no? No, yeah, the- we're all Hoosiers. Right. Yeah. We only talk to Bloomington uns. Hoosiers? Is that a Hoos- like the movie Hoosiers? The restaurant with the chicken wings. Uh
1: yeah, Hoosiers <laughs> is is like the movie. It's just what you call somebody from Indiana and no one knows why. There's no I, okay. no explanation given. None asked for really. Got it.
0: I saw when did um did when did Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid get divorced? <laughs>
1: Mid aughts.
0: Okay. Can we get a date? I, um, so I went to NYU, Mm -hmm. um, brag. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) no, I'm ashamed of having gone there, but (laughs) I saw Dennis Quaid there because he was, he came to see his son Jack Quaid, uh, do like a sketch comedy show. Uh, and in my mind, both Dennis and Meg were there, but <laughs> I, could, <laughs> nah. I could, I could, I might, I may have implanted Meg there.
1: Meg was probably in the Bloomington, Indiana, Old Navy buying socks at a discount.
0: Yeah. Which
1: is what my friend Lindsay saw her doing one time. And in my head, that's what she's always doing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think Dennis Quaid said that's what she was doing. Yeah. <laughs> he was like, sorry, Meg couldn't be here. She's at Old Navy in our hometown. <laughs>
2: I like the idea, though, that maybe like Meg Ryan and Dennis Quaid secretly continued beat to be together, and somehow they were able to like move in silence on the NYU campus. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no one, no one let that slip.
0: They were trying to. They didn't want Jack Quaid to know they got divorced, so they kept on. They kept the right. illusion up through college for him,
1: and it worked out because he's doing great <laughs> now.
0: Yeah, they're like, we'll just wait until he gets on the boys, and then we'll we'll tell the kids. <laughs>
2: If this podcast mysteriously disappears from iTunes, we're going to know it's the work of the the Quaid Ryan money machine. (laughs) Yeah. So all of this dovetails back into Punch Drunk Love.
1: Perfectly. Mm -hmm.
2: uh, Which is a movie about, you know, uh, dealing with the consequences of being a pervert. That's really true. Jeremy, what's your relationship with Punch Drunk Love?
0: Um... I'll take you chronologically and take you through how my relationship <laughs> has changed with it over time I remember seeing an a poster for it in theaters when I when it came out and I guess when it came out I was probably uh what year did this come out like two thousand two yeah two thousand two I was probably like eight or nine and I remember I was a huge Adam Sandler fan and I remember being like very <laughs> like confused I just was like that's the guy I like, but why isn't this movie being marketed to me? Like, this doesn't look like it's for kids. Um, and I just, like, had a very, like, uncomfortable feeling about the idea of it. Because I think it just didn't, something about it, just, like, it didn't fall into a genre I was familiar with. And I was upset, I think, that it was an Adam Sandler movie I couldn't see. Fast forward. <laughs> we fast forward <laughs> a, a 10 years or so. I saw the movie for the first time, probably like in college or something and instantly loved it. And it's the movie. I I don't really rewatch movies. A lot of people, I'm sure two cinephiles like yourselves think it's important to rewatch a movie. And I agree, but I never feel like doing it. Uh, But I've seen this movie like five or six times, which is a lot for me. And I love it every time. I really like Paul Thomas Anderson, and I am obsessed with this movie. I love it.
2: I have I have an almost identical relationship to this movie, Jeremy. I think we're probably the same age or close. Um, but when this came out, my older brother really liked it. And so I was like, oh, everything my older brother likes, I like, Loved The Sandman. I watched it and was totally vexed by it. Didn't make sense to me as a child. Just kind of thought it was bad didn't really have the ability to know that it might be good um but yeah i'm i'm like you this is a movie i can watch over and over again and i think it it strikes kind of an impossible balance between in my opinion being like one of the best movies ever made but also something that is like really economical in it's storytelling and like really fast moving and like extremely enjoyable moment to moment like It's not like poppy necessarily, but I find it to be extremely entertaining. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so Bethy, this isn't going to be Annihilation 2.0. Where do you come down on Punch Drunk Love?
1: So my history with Punch Drunk Love was it came out... I'm I'm slightly older than y'all. I must have been in high school when it came out. But I think I was at like a dinner party. I'm an only child. So I got taken to a lot of adult dinner parties as a kid. As like the little... The little precocious child who says "bon most. And was like, ho, oh, ho, ho, weird, <laughs> you know?
0: This um, is a brag about your parents having friends. <laughs> <laughs> I was an only child and never got invited to dinner parties with my parents. I don't think my parents got invited to dinner parties. Sorry, I interrupted you.
1: At one of these many dinner parties that my incredibly popular parents were invited <laughs> to. Somebody had said, like, they worked at a domestic violence shelter and they had somehow gotten in their minds that Punch Drunk Love was about, like, abusing women. Like, that the punching was... I know. But that's what I was told as, like, a young person. I was like, don't watch this movie. It's about Adam Sandler hitting people. Like, he has anger issues and that's bad and he's problematic and never watched this movie. And me being a, a youth went, okay... And then, you know, years later, I finally watch it. And I'm like, what the fuck were you talking about? Person I barely remember from a dinner party. <laughs> uh,
2: yeah, I can imagine a really dumb, reductive take about how this movie is about a manic pixie dream girl who inexplicably falls for a man who is, is just violent beyond rehabilitation. Um, I don't really think any of that is true, but I do think it's easy to just kind of say stuff.
1: I love saying stuff. Same. Yeah, I don't, this movie isn't about a Manic Pixie Dream Girl because the movie is, like, a little bit quieter about it, but Emily Watson's character is 100% a freak as well. Oh, yeah. Like, she's not, like, she's not, like, a sitcom wife being like, oh, you and your punching bathrooms, like, she's insane, too. Like, nobody's fine in this movie, but that's what makes it beautiful.
2: Yeah. She's also, like, acutely aware from day one what is going on with this dude. And when she sees a picture of him and wants to meet him, I think one element of that is it's not just that he's, like, handsome. I think she thinks he's, like, goofy. And she wants to know what that's all about.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm.
2: And she, like,
0: has heard stories from his sister. And she, like, I feel like by the end, you realize that she's been, like, on our wavelength the whole time. And that she likes that he's a freak and that he's angry and weird. And she's kind of weird, too.
1: Yeah, she's a freak, too. A freak like her needs company.
0: Amen. Yep. But she doesn't like being left at the hospital. There's a line for her.
1: That's fair, I think. Once it's explained, like, you get it. But also, I would not like to be left at the hospital either.
0: Same. I actually, honestly, like, I I probably would not forgive him for leaving me at the hospital (laughs) and going to, like, fight philip seymour hoffman i'd be like you did not need to do that but thank you is that callous
2: i don't forgive anyone for anything
0: yeah i think i'm i don't think i should have to forgive anyone period
2: jeremy for listeners who maybe haven't seen this movie before and they got to remedy that immediately how would you describe the plot of this simply so that people can situate our conversation within That framework.
0: I tried to describe it to someone recently and had a really hard time. (laughs) Um, I, I'll see if I can succinctly explain that it is about Adam Sandler plays an angry guy that (laughs) works at some insane warehouse and wants to take he wants to take a trip to Hawaii. (laughs) And he uh, is not in touch with his emotions. Now I'm just describing him, but this is not the plot.
1: I mean, it's a character study, so it is kind of the plot. Mm-hmm.
0: It's like, a, yeah, it's a character study. It's like a meet cute, but for like two freaky people. And it's also simultaneously Adam Sandler's uh, <laughs> journey of being a pervert and... <laughs> getting threatened by a phone sex operator boss and then threatening him in return, that would be the worst log line. Like if that (laughs) whole thing was the log line, (laughs) like I wouldn't include that in the marketing materials or anything, but I
2: actually thought that was really good. I think, you know, the, the, the only thing that I would sort of emphasize that's missing there is that, um, this character who has many sisters who make him yeah. feel inadequate, uh, on the eve of meeting the woman who may be the woman of his dreams, he calls a phone sex hotline, which turns out to be a scam, and for the rest of the movie is navigating the fallout of that while also trying to fall in love and collect a lot of pudding that will convert to frequent flyer miles. Uh, and it's extremely romantic and zany, but also filtered through... Paul Thomas Anderson's very artful prism, it really doesn't feel like any other movie. Like, I think in a lot of ways, it's indebted to a lot of classic cinema, especially in the way he frames and spends a lot of time in scenes, but it's kind of singular.
0: It's so... It's so bizarre and, like, hard to explain and (laughs) doesn't make sense, but for some reason, when you're watching it, like, it makes... You're not, like, questioning it as you're watching it, you know? It's so glued together by... Paul Thomas Anderson's sort of singular voice that it feels organic. It just, like, unfolds very organically, and you're not totally wondering, like, why any of this stuff is happening or why there are so many disparate elements.
1: (laughs) I would love to talk about the pudding right now, if we Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Because... It's, it's so interesting. Like he, you said, Jeremy, that he wants to go to Hawaii, but he doesn't want to go to Hawaii. He's never been on a plane before. And when he's talking to, um, the, the Emily Watson's character, he, he says, like, he doesn't really have that much interest in going on flights. It's just that he saw this coupon or this, like, rebate program that had this huge exploit built into it. And he's like, well, I have to take advantage of that like
0: yeah if it's yeah. there i
1: have to take advantage of it like he's with clearly no-
0: like just i mean he's like mentally ill like in like, again, i i'm in non no judgment value there, yeah. way he just like clearly is someone who like becomes very fixated on things and he the way he's like talking anytime he's talking about the pudding is like the funniest shit <laughs> ever. <laughs> Cuz he becomes so obsessive and he's like that they don't realize like like he sounds like a he sounds delusional
2: but like weirdly he is exacting and like does understand the specifics of this like really yeah. absurd narrow lane. Like mm-hmm. he to me is a guy who you're, you're right he's definitely mentally ill um but I, I think just growing up in the family he grew up in with all of those sisters he just like he didn't really have a self-awareness or a sort of security and so like there are ways that he fundamentally misunderstands the world and himself but he's able to obsess after the details of small things so like he understands exploiting this bizarre pudding loophole and like he's the king when it comes to like novelty toiletries but beyond that like He feels extreme frustration trying to connect with other things in, like, a a natural
1: or comfortable way. Yeah, there's never been, like, a place where he, it's, he has never developed, like, a self in many ways because it's never been safe to assert himself. Because, like, even if he says the word chat, like, one of his sisters will yell at him about that. Like, there's never been, like, a place to, like, figure himself out.
2: (laughs) That shit's funny. Did you just say chat? Like, like them trying to get a rise out of him kills me. So, something that I really love about Barry's character that I really tapped into this time is he, anytime a detail about his life is about to be revealed within any context, he's like, they're lying. That person's a liar. Like, he's just in fundamental denial, like, constantly deflecting any sort of, like, external perception
0: or like the i think like his sister the sister that sets him up with his love interest like tells her a story about him and she's telling it back to him as if it's cute and he's like that didn't happen like did she say that (laughs) no like and she's like trying to tell him like no no i like i thought it was funny no
2: i don't know why she said that (laughs) So I feel like we'll we'll continue to dig into some scene stuff, but do both of you know kind of the genesis of this and Paul Thomas Anderson's relationship to Adam Sandler's movies?
1: Not 100%. You've alluded to it in past podcasts.
2: Yeah. So I think he talked about this for the first time maybe when he was on Marin, but I guess like, uh, so Magnolia is his movie that came out before this. Magnolia is like a three hour epic. It is fundamentally different from Punch Drunk Love in most ways, but like... That was Paul Thomas Anderson processing his father's death. And so after like a day on set making this crazy heavy movie, like the only thing that brought him joy was watching Happy Madison movies. Like PTA is this incredible and discerning artist, but he's like, no, Adam Sandler is the funniest guy alive and these Happy Madison movies are brilliant. And so Punch Drunk Love was his attempt to make what he thought was a Happy Madison movie. And I think that's funny because like clearly <laughs> yeah. he has sensibilities that keep him so many degrees removed from what those movies feel like. But I do think that like, he's, he's reverse engineered the movie from a lot of the Happy Madison ideas. Like the plot is like similarly zany and like he finds new ways for Sandman to do his range of like being really soft, but also having this like unbridled rage. Um But he just makes yeah. it more nuanced and kind of strange.
0: Yeah, yeah, he, I mean, Adam Sandler's character is basically, like, he's, he seems very similar to any of his other characters, like, from his own movies. It's almost like that thing that everyone does, every, like, funny video editor does online, which is, like, take, like, a funny movie, but you then, like, put scary music under the trailer <laughs> <Yeah>. or whatever <laughs> and it like fully recontextualizes like what's going on and i i feel like that this movie is like that a lot where it's like if you took happy gilmore's like freak outs and we're like actually <laughs> taking it seriously and you're like what is wrong with this person you'd be like oh like that's a mentally ill man who like grew up feeling like completely insecure and has like has never learned like what to do with his anger, and like I, I yeah, I think it's I think it's great as a fan of Adam Sandler's movies and uh, a fan of Paul Thomas Anderson's movies. I think it it's it's the best.
1: I think like the main difference between like a Happy Madison angry Sandler and a PTA angry Sandler is like. <laughs> Happy Madison, Adam Sandler yells first. There might be, like, a physical component, but it starts with funny yelling, preferably in, like, a semi-Cajun accent. Like, we're getting the good <laughs> shout sound. Uh, whereas uh, <laughs> Barry hits first. Like, he's so uncomfortable with vocalizing how he's feeling at any given moment. Like, that's, you understand that that's why he is being physical is because he cannot verbally express it.
2: Right right it feels like a lot of those a lot of adam sandler's whole thing like the entire like semantics of what he does feels like it comes from uh, a this like outsider part of himself but in all of those movies it's very silly it almost feels like paul thomas anderson is like Pull from that, like, same well, but I'm going to force you to interrogate it and really wrestle with it. And so, like, Mm -hmm. for the whole movie, he just seems deeply anxious in that performance, which I really love. But there is
1: actually, like, growth and development once he starts having this relationship, because he does yell first when he's speaking to the Mattress King, character. Like he doesn't start beating ass immediately. He actually does just assert himself and like we're not doing this. Like he yells first, which is like a huge place of growth for that character. It whips ass.
2: Yeah, I I agree. We should also say that Philip Seymour Hoffman only has a handful of lines in this movie, but it's like a Fucking legendary performance. Yeah. <laughs> he's like very much taking so a back good. seat, But yeah, everything he says is fucking amazing. Like he has these throwaway lines. Like when he's uh, paying those four blonde brothers to drive from Provo to Los <laughs> Angeles to beat Barry's ass. They're like, you know you said you were going to cover our expenses. And he's like, fuck, no, I'm not going to cover your expenses. And he goes, that's not fair, man. And then he says something to the effect just throws away a line that's like, it doesn't make sense from a business-like perspective. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be fair, none of the sex traf- sex line extortion plan makes sense from a business perspective either, but that's part of what makes it so beautiful.
2: It's all Yeah, it's like they're bumbling as much if not more than anyone in a happy madison movie like they keep asking her how she knows he's wealthy and she says well he said he was going to diversify they're like diversify what and she goes you know his business (laughs) Uh, which obviously means nothing
1: yeah and like the whole point of of scamming and extortion especially like from a distance is low effort like you don't want to send guys if you can help it the the yeah, hope is to not like i'm speaking from experience as like the head of some <laughs> sort of conning family No, bethy does uh-huh.
2: bethy does the same thing that the mattress man does
1: so not that's not true there i have i don't know where you're getting that that's just like a lie you're a liar but yeah you, you want to Cast a wide net and get what you can low effort. The whole point of stealing is that you don't have to work for that money.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They work awfully hard to <laughs> collect like $500. $500. <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: I was, <laughs> I wasn't sure. I did go back and make sure I didn't like miss a piece of information or I, I, when I watched it most recently, I was like, I thought there was like a, bigger reason or something (laughs) why like Adam Sandler's being tormented so much by these people and it's really just like people like him are probably calling them all the time (laughs) like is is that are they just doing this all the time he's sending like four guys to spend like a week harassing some guy for $500 does not seem like a good use of resources
2: mattress man is like a hyper confident swinging dick but he's like a real moron his business plan doesn't work yeah. but at the same time his operating costs are low like he pays four guys a hundred dollars for two days of work that's true <laughs> it doesn't pay for their gas yeah
1: so that's he <laughs> pays four hundred dollars to get five hundred dollars
2: yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: even though he's making the four guys eat their expenses
2: no no, no he pays it's a hundred dollars split four ways with no oh, expenses
1: okay that makes more sense. Yeah, we're
2: breaking down some of the business machinations of Punch Drunk Love.
0: Okay, this business model actually works. <laughs>
1: yeah, I take everything back.
2: That stuff's great. I uh, Every time I watch this movie, the scene that is most striking to me is the one... The morning after the extortion attempt, he wakes up, he gets a call from this phone sex hotline. She says, I need $750. He says, fuck off, and goes to work. But he has this, like... Seething anxiety and the camera movement and the blocking of that scene is unreal. Like he just, he keeps walking in and out of the office, answering the phone. Suddenly his sister and Lena come in wanting to meet him. Meanwhile, he's trying to like fend off this sex worker. All the while there's a forklift speeding through the back of the frame, <laughs> crashing into these giant industrial shelves. He's like tripping like Luis Guzman's chair like breaks and falls out from under him. Um, <laughs> It's unreal. It's some of the it's funniest so good. shit, but also like John Bryan's score is so anxiety inducing that it's it's so much.
1: Our husband Colin was having like a panic attack from the score the <laughs> whole movie. They were just like, "I can't handle this."
2: Yeah.
0: It's so my, I one of my roommates told me recently that he started watching it and turned it off cuz I think it made him anxious. The score like is anxiety inducing. It's so good. I read that, I guess, like, John Bryan was on set coming back and forth with, like, ideas and stuff based on what, like, was going on in production or something, (laughs) and, like, they were kind of, like, working in tandem, I guess.
2: Yeah, I mean, you definitely feel it. Like, I I watched it with headphones this time, and I think it's the only time I've ever done that, but Steph was, like, in bed, and... Like, the score is, like, these, like, modular synths, but then there's also this, like, it's it's so drum-heavy, but, like, in those really anxious sequences, it's, like, this modular synth, but then, like, a pan flute, but John Bryan is taking these, like, really gnarly, deep breaths that sound, like, labored and, like, panicked, and having it really loud in headphones, I was like, I I might need to pause this movie, it's, like, making me want to throw up. But it's also this, like, screwball romantic comedy. It's doing a lot of things at once.
1: And this, like, really... And the the gnarly harmonium coming in, yeah. too. That was really nice. I think it's also... It's interesting that John Bryan was on set for it. And then, like, one of the songs... One of, the, like, the few songs that they use... That was, like, pre, pre-recorded before this movie... Is from Popeye. And right, Harry yeah. Nilsson was on set for the making of Popeye as well.
0: Wow. He, like,
1: conned his way to Malta to, like, make the Popeye soundtrack with Altman. He got into
0: the cartoon?
1: (laughs) I mean, he got into the, I think...
2: The Altman? Four
1: suitcases of cocaine that um, Robert Evans brought to Malta for that movie. (laughs) Damn,
2: good for him. Because I'm a moron, I didn't actually think about the Popeye connection, but, like, you know pta often references altman and i think it's often compared to altman um and i guess that's just like an obvious intertext.
1: well because it's like uh, yeah i didn't think about it either but like right now i'm like oh yeah because popeye's whole thing is that he is like muttering until he loses his goddamn mind and then he eats spinach and gets swole and beats ass and that's kind of the same <laughs> as damn Barry.
0: this is a real popeye story it's super
2: I I love.
1: philip Seymour Hoffman, bluto
2: except in uh barry's case you know the canned goods make him fly
1: true (laughs) holy shit wait i wasn't done talking about the pudding
2: don't don't be done we're we're gonna keep coming back to the pudding
1: because it's like it's it's so character elucidating but it actually has no impact on the plot because he doesn't Mm -hmm. use those miles to go to hawaii he can't like the the miles (laughs) never actually get reimbursed by the end of the movie he's still waiting for his miles to come through
2: <laughs> but the upshot of that is like the most romantic payoff possible that final exchange between he and lena is is unreal sweet where he's basically yeah. like you know give me just give me 6 to 8 weeks so i can redeem these miles and i'll fly with you wherever you go for you know business uh it's it's beautiful
0: the scene with him in the uh grocery store <laughs> with, like, looking for all the pudding is so
2: good. Him, like, skipping down the <laughs> Do aisle is so cute. <laughs> he, he also has this line that's kind of buried in the mix there, too. He, like, throws it away as he's walking back the aisle, but he goes, uh, oh, pudding can take you places. That's funny. Uh, that kills me.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. Yeah. I did not know he said that. It's that's right. awesome.
2: This is the headphones, man. This is what I got today.
0: Wow. I got a... Get some nice headphones, <laughs> fucking Apple ear, ear earbuds. You
1: guys know the the origin of the pudding subplot, right?
0: No, no. Oh, oh. My roommate, when I was talking about Punch Drug Love, said that it's based on a real thing.
1: Yeah, the pudding guy really did make millions of dollars of frequent flyer miles off of the healthy choice, off of it the was healthy successful. choice pudding. Hugely successful, Whoa. and and it's interesting. We were going to do it for the season of drunk history that went kerbluy but he it was like so much it was so much more pudding than they show in the movie that that man purchased he cleaned out like every store in like a 20 mile radius and then like at like his family was eating the pudding until they couldn't they just couldn't eat pudding anymore so they wound up they donated all of the pudding to a homeless shelter but like they just had to scoop out the pudding and give them the lids back and the shelter was like whatever dude (laughs) so he like enlisted like an entire soup kitchen to like peel off the proof of purchases for pallets and pallets and pallets of pudding and that man david phillips to this day still flies for free
2: oh man
1: everywhere and and if you want to if you meet him he will pay for your ticket to go somewhere like it they're forever they are forever for him (laughs)
2: I I will say, you know, as much as I love this movie in real life, I fucking hate guys with pudding cash. (laughs) I don't like pudding
1: very much. Perhaps at all. I like rice pudding. (laughs) What's everyone's favorite pudding? Sound off in the comments. Or Jeremy and Thomas right now, go.
0: I don't really like pudding.
1: Yeah, it's not that good.
0: I think pudding's out. Like You don't hear about anyone eating pudding anymore. I don't know. It's a thing
2: of the past. Mm -hmm. I don't know that you can get it anymore. I would have to ask someone if it's still available to buy. Uh, But in my memory, I really liked tapioca pudding. (laughs) It's Mm -hmm. not a joke. I like the, it's like a proto-boba, or not Mm -hmm. proto, because boba existed then, but yeah.
1: But still, it's tapioca either way. It's just like a different size.
2: Yeah. To me, with my my very insular uh, knowledge of the world, it's (laughs) proto-boba.
1: I think, I feel like mooses are where it's at nowadays. We're getting mm. far afield, but. Trend alert. There's like, um, there's a lot of uh, mooses covered in like glazes that are like the new, like hot foods to Instagram, like at at fancy restaurants or like in casinos or theme parks. <laughs> there's always domed mooses that have like glazes and like gold leaf on top of them. And they look like planets. They're pretty cute.
2: Wow. It's high time for Netflix to remake Punch Drunk Love, but with more of a moose emphasis.
0: (laughs) Mm -hmm. I also, when you said Drunk History, they should do Punch Drunk History.
1: (laughs) Where you just like beat the shit out of someone and then make them tell the story.
0: (laughs) Yeah, now say what happened.
1: (laughs) If they get a detail wrong, you hit them again.
2: Yeah, then they're liable to get it right. (laughs) Uh, Then they'll learn. There's so many lines in this movie that like fucking kill me. And uh, after he goes with Lena to her apartment for the first time, and he says uh, uh, "and bye bye," and then he walks yeah. down the hall and he's mumbling to himself. He goes "and bye bye, and bye bye, you stupid motherfucker." <laughs> like, it's yeah. just this yeah. classic Sandman thing. Uh, <laughs>
1: I think it's so cute that that she calls in that moment where he's cursing. He thinks he's ruined any chance with her ever again. Because he said dumb shit. And she's like, just so you know, I wanted to kiss you. And then he <laughs> runs back and they have a little smooch. But it's so nice to see people people think that they're ruining their lives with all of the dumb shit that they say. But a, a lot of people just like other people. There's, a, I think there's a lot more grace in the world than we're willing to accept, maybe. And it's yeah. like a nice message of this movie, in a way.
0: Yeah, I like we're calling these guys freaks and stuff, but I I mean it in like a positive sort of optimistic way in that it is like a story about one guy being a freak and not being able to connect with people. And then he meets another freak who loves him and they, and they love each other. I think it's awesome.
2: I think all all the freaks should meet up and (laughs) love each other. (laughs) Yeah. This is myself included. (laughs) uh that that scene is it it makes me think about the ways formally that this movie gives lena more than a lot of movies give like manic pixie dream girls or whatever but like one of the really sophisticated things they do there is when barry comes back and like they kiss and then he embraces her there's never, like, a shot reverse shot. That entire bit is captured from over his shoulder just looking at Lena's face. You never get him. You never get sort of his perspective on what's happening. It's all her kind of, like, humoring the doofy things he's saying and just being like, oh, I like this guy. But, like, she she understands the, like, breadth of why this interaction is silly. And I think that's uh, a very cool thing to give her as a character. Or,
1: like, uh, when they're in Hawaii... And they're both saying just, like, the wackiest shit to each other <laughs> while
2: kissing.
0: I
1: was like, I want to bite your cheeks. They're so cute. I want to eat yeah. them. It's
0: like, I want to smash your face with
2: a... <laughs> I forget. Yeah, that's exactly what he says. And he, like, doesn't know that that's weird. He's kind of <laughs> taken aback by what she's saying. And he's like, I guess that's my version of that. And then, like... It's, it feels a little sketchy, and then she comes back to him and goes, I want to scoop your eyeballs out and eat them. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> it made me wonder, like, what's his sexual experience?
1: I think Will no, before yeah, this moment.
2: <laughs> I think so, too. Yeah, he says he only jacks off uh, uh, very infrequently and when he's lonely.
0: Yeah. He's, like, the... I think that's what I like about this movie is just, like, he's... Like, the most pathetic person in any movie. (laughs) Just, like, so insecure. So, like, inexperienced. Like, so upset. Like, there's something just so purely sad and pathetic in a, like, relatable way. That really just, like, I love him. I just have more... i like have more sympathy for him yeah. than anyone in the world
1: like when he calls the sex line the the interpretation that i have of it is that he doesn't he has no intention ever of, of using the sex line to jerk off it is it is uh a stopgap until his dentist friend finds him a therapist
2: yeah totally It's, and also, like, at the, at the culmination of that conversation, when he finally sits down at his desk and starts, like, beating off, it's, like, begrudging. It's because the person he's been talking to has repeatedly said, like, are you stroking it? And finally, he's like, I guess if I'm going to stay on the phone, I got to do that. And so he, like, bends over at 90 degrees, is not happy about it.
0: Right. He doesn't, like, realize what he's supposed to do until like five minutes into the conversation (laughs) where she's like asking him questions and he's just like kind of answering straightforwardly and just like
2: (laughs) i'm just talking to you yeah
0: yeah Yeah. i wish i could remember how that conversation went
1: it does like help twig you to like first when they ask for a social security number it's like well that's not That's not necessary. But then the constant, constant asking him to masturbate is, like, not what any real phone sex operator would do.
2: I think they'd be happy to be off the hook, right?
1: 100%, they would just talk. (laughs) Like, anything that keeps you on the line, it does not matter.
2: The camera work in this movie? Like, this is, it's, it's obviously, like, about as silly as PTA gets, and it's sandwiched between Magnolia and There Will Be Blood, so it doesn't have, like, that level of import, but, like... It's shot with such intention, and there are these really striking compositions. Like when he's running, (laughs) when he's running away from the four blonde brothers, and they have that weird, like, hard light where, like, his shadow is like running along the wall well before we see him. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just, yeah, it's all of these shots. Like a noir movie or something. Yeah. Oh god, it's amazing.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. or like when they finally meet and there's the big silhouetted kiss. It's like that same, yeah, like using his profile to represent him
2: the best the best shit so jeremy do you um do you know anyone who has opinions on punch drunk love uh maybe maybe someone from earlier in your life the answer can be no um
0: you know interestingly the answer is yes (laughs) do you want to do you want to tell the story of how we came to talking about this movie
2: yeah this is this is pretty funny. Um, I I always wanted Jeremy to come mm-hmm. on the podcast because he, you know, clearly likes good movies based on his letterboxd. Also, is like the funniest <laughs> guy. But yeah. um, there was a tweet several years ago where someone said, and I quote. The only people that like Punch Drunk Love are boys that have graduated college but still talk to girls in college, and girls in college that are in love with boys that have graduated college (laughs) but still talk to girls in college. Actually, the girls don't like that movie. Um, And I think maybe that's true of, like, I can't really think what the movie would be. I don't really think that applies to Punch Drunk Love or its audience, but I, I remember seeing that and being like, that's misguided, and so I did a little screenshot and posted it and said, this is a whiff of a tweet. And then uh, a couple months ago, (laughs) Jeremy sends me a DM that's like, ha ha ha, I was looking for this tweet you posted a while back, and I realized it's from someone I used to date. (laughs) Yeah. Damn, it could have been from anyone in the world.
0: Uh, yeah. (laughs) It's someone I, like, yeah, dated sort of briefly, you know, many lives ago. And I don't endorse the take. I don't <laughs> endorse her take. <laughs> I love Punch Drunk Love, and I think if you like it, it doesn't it doesn't mean anything.
2: It means you like a great movie. <laughs>
1: How
2: about that? I think that's true. I think we're all kind of in agreement there.
0: Mm-hmm. And I actually, I'm like a little bit confused by... As you were reading it back to me, it like... I got confused by even what the implication is. It's like <laughs> this movie is for like guys who know girls who date guys in college who know girls who guys who date went to girls college with, who know guys yeah.
1: who date girls who date girls who know guys always yeah. should be someone you really love.
2: There's a kind of yep. tweet that I'm sympathetic to even if I don't engage, which is one that generalizes from an incredibly narrow personal experience but purports to be like very relatable, and that feels like a a moment in time for two people. Yeah.
1: I'm trying to think about what movie is exists that m- more people perform the liking of it than the liking of it. It's probably not useful to come up with right now, but I feel like That's always, like, the discussion where, like, film, Twitter, and, like, mm, Jane Magazine feminism Twitter intersect.
2: I'm not always convinced that, like, that movie exists, you know? Like, I think maybe, like, anecdotally, I think maybe for, like, a certain kind of person at, like, a place in time, but, like, I don't know, I feel like every movie that's, like, revered is, like, loved in earnest by some number of people. I think like a lot of the like dismissive like film discourse is kind of boring, but maybe I'm maybe I'm showing my ass here.
0: I'm not I don't I'm not sure I understand what the discourse is, which discourse you're referring to. Yeah,
2: that's a good point.
0: <laughs> Sorry. As someone who's more tangential to the film discourse.
2: No, no. You're it's talking like, about It's the thing where like someone is like this particular movie is a movie only enjoyed by a person who shares these three characteristics and I'm oh, always like yeah. I don't I don't know that that's like funny enough for me to engage with the knowledge that it also doesn't mean anything. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't know. Maybe one of them will be funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I can understand a lot of the fire behind some of those tweets because sometimes, as as somebody who's one of our favorite movies is Breaking Dawn Part Two, uh, sometimes talking about only like the canon good movies or like talking about the canon of good movies pushes out space to talk about the freak movies for nasty boys and girls <laughs> mm-hmm. uh and and so there's a uh you know what fuck you energy that comes from being somebody whose favorite movies are like killer clowns from outer space or simply irresistible the movie where sarah michelle geller uh finds love via a magic crab
2: I feel like those movies you know, both have like their their huge film Twitter fandoms, you know.
1: I hope so, but it's like it. Sometimes it feels like if you want to, it, this is like a a discourse problem. It's just like the, the the discourse is is like choked by the good movies with a capital G, and you never get to talk about the silly movies or even like the meh movies that maybe you have a fondness for, and then that can be isolating, which causes you to lash out. Ooh.
2: Yeah, that's fair. I just thought of a tweet that would hold water. What do you guys think about this? <clears throat> Cheaper by the dozen, too, is for '90s kids and fans of Eugene Levy only. <laughs> I
0: think that. I think that's great. you think that would yeah, connect? That deserves With that to go connect? viral. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, let's make it happen. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, get those numbers up, people.
0: I'm going to dunk on it, though. Just a heads up. I'm going to screenshot it. (laughs) Please. Yeah, yeah. I
1: mean, don't screenshot it, though. RT it so then the engagement can still be up from the negative response. Yeah. Yeah
0: be like uh ever heard of a third category called uh uh, boys who went to college people who
1: are fans of cheaper by the dozen one yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) this is a cheaper by the dozen super fan that feels super left out of the discourse
1: (laughs) i was born in 1970 i can take or leave eugene levy but god damn it
0: no yeah it was like 31 when cheaper by the
2: dozen (laughs) came out and it's my favorite movie (laughs) i'm thinking of someone who was like 13 when the first one came out and they were like the biggest sum 41 fan in the world and so uh because that movie has like two sum 41 needle drops they were grandfathered into the cheaper by the dozen Mm. franchise um so they're in college when the second one comes out that's hard
1: i am somebody who came to the movie back to school from the sum 41 (laughs) though. I'll say that. What's back to school. Because the the video for In Too Deep is based on the big diving scene at the end of Back to School. I don't know what Back
2: to School is. And
1: it's Rodney Dangerfield's <laughs> uh, like slobs versus Snobs comedy movie. He's he's like a dad, and he's going to school with his son. Ooh. But he's like Rodney Dangerfield, and his son is like an uptight herb. And so it's like him teaching his son how to be cool. That rocks. Wait, so you're telling me the
2: rock band Sum Forty One boosted Rodney Dangerfield awareness?
1: <laughs> for me, Bethany, yeah. I, oh, I mean, for everyone, because my experience is everyone's experience.
2: Every
0: music video for a song that's like Into Deep is like <laughs> shots from a movie that are basically this movie. Like any, <laughs> any like alternative rock song from the early 2000s, I feel like it's like the music video is, like, shots of, like, Jason Biggs in, like, in a pool or something. <laughs> and there's it's just an infinite Jason number. Biggs. There's an infinite number of Jason Biggs movies <laughs> where, like, <laughs> there's, like, alternative rock songs and they use him. In the, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Never forget that, that Teenage Jirtbag was by mm-hmm. Weedus was on the Loser soundtrack. Yes. And that's why Mina Suvari is in the video with Jason Biggs.
0: I will never but forget. But they that. they
1: bleep out the part about who he brings a gun to school because it was right after Colin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he brings a <laughs> to school. <laughs> they definitely do like a disc scratch kind of thing.
1: <laughs> oh no, he brings a turntable to school. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then he forms Slipknot. <laughs> uh, I'm in the I'm in the Slipknot fandom. Respect. says so Colin. Yeah. No maggots no maggots so as far as punch drunk love goes what are we leaving out what are things we definitely want to talk about before we you know wrap this up
1: mm, i think it's important to discuss the the valley of it all like this is such a deeply san fernando mm. valley movie
2: yeah i i i i was i wrote that in my little fucked up notebook uh, as someone that's
0: never been i went to la once when i was 10 so How I, was it? What'd I, you do? It was amazing. I went to see a distant relative's graduation. <laughs> Sick. And it was really hot out. And I was upset to be there. Hmm.
1: Grad, like, uh, high school or college?
0: It was a medical school graduation. So I think that was oh, the big... Important. High school? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it was... Well, he went to a They're medical high up. school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um... And the commencement speaker was Michael J. Fox. My dad <laughs> goes, This is look, do you know who that is? It's Michael J. Fox. I'm ten years old. I go, I don't give a fuck who that is.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> no.
1: Was this before or after he had had his Parkinson's diagnosis? Was like is that why he was speaking at a medical school? Or <laughs> That's
0: interesting. Maybe. If I, I imagine it was after, but like during the early stages where he still yeah. like is. Can skateboard? Yeah, I, I think I remember him skating on stage.
1: Yeah, he hitched on the back of a <laughs> pickup yeah. truck to the, uh, dais.
0: This is all to say, I don't know what the valley is like, although I, I'm, I'm from what I have heard the Valley is the place that everyone makes fun of in LA and they say, that's, I don't know really why, but it seems like people like to dunk on the Valley. What's up with that? And, and why is Punch Drunk Love (laughs) such a
2: quintessentially Valley film? I think, I mean, PTA grew up in the Valley, like I'm, the Heim sister's mother was his elementary school teacher. And that's why he directs their videos. But like, he is, <laughs> he is like, he is, uh, deeply familiar with the Valley. And I think he, I won't say better than any other filmmaker. Cause I don't know how many filmmakers are like trying to make quintessential Valley movies, but like, he's really <laughs> good at it. And, and a note that I made, he like gets it in Boogie Nights. He gets it in Magnolia, but in Punch Drunk Love, like the apartment Barry Egan lives in, is absolutely a sherman oaks ass apartment like that's what that shit looks like and that's uh what a home looks like you know if you're a family growing up in the valley all of it feels very normal despite the premise of the movie being like kind of heightened and fun
1: the jeremy too, to explain to a valley newbie the valley is like flyover country of los angeles the way people talk about it it's like like the Ohio where they, I think of it as the Indiana of Los Angeles because <laughs> that's where I'm from. So I have this affinity of like where the dirt bags, oh,
2: okay.
1: uh, where, where the, the fast food chains are essentially. Families
2: move out of like central Los Angeles to buy homes in the Valley, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but I think like, it's, it's mostly people like trying to assert the fact that like they have an apartment that's not in the Valley who like make fun of the valley. When I moved to LA, I moved straight to Encino. And that was like, that's not cool. Um, It was really embarrassing to live in Encino. And so as soon as I lived in Los Feliz, I was like, Can you believe I used to live in Encino? Um, But now I look back on it with some affection.
1: Yeah, I used to work in North Burbank. And that's what the the like warehouse that um, Barry works out of really looks like north. It's in Chatsworth, but it looks like North Burbank, because you're just like, you're in like this tiny, like flat, squat little, like, like disgusting concrete things. And then you're just like hemmed in on all sides by mountains. You're just so close to the mountains, but you're in this like almost like, uh, supernaturally, like, like the Sims leveled it out <laughs> flat area, but you're like next to these huge ass mountains. Mm-hmm. And it feels very surreal to be there a lot of the time because you're like, you feel like uh, trapped, honestly, because it's like you're, the sky is pushing down on you, and the mountains are pushing in on you, and there's a jack in the box like a block away, and that's stressing you out. It's just like, and all the roads are diagonal for some fucking reason. It's it's a lot. There's a existential dread to the valley that I respond to, mm.
2: and I love that he. I, I, I keep coming back to the cinematography, and we've not done it justice. But like the fact that he shoots it with such intention and makes everything so beautiful and striking despite being like extremely normal it's like warehouses and like bland ass apartments and then obviously like Hawaii is something else but like it is a it is a gorgeous movie in like very pedestrian locations
1: but the buildings in Hawaii are all honestly very close to a lot of the buildings in the valley cuz they're all like concrete semi-brutalist things from the 70s if you go to like honolulu it's the most 70s fucking looking place like the se- city center looks like uh uh like you know how on like star trek next generation anytime that they want to show like an alien headquarters they just go to like a 70s office block that has like a weird fountain yeah,
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah that's what hawaii looks like when you're not at a beach <laughs>
2: Hell yeah. Bethy's got family in Hawaii and brings the Hawaii expertise when talking about this or Cloud Atlas. Have we had another oh, wow. Hawaii movie? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I think that's it, been it so far. We'll do Mike and Dave Need Wedding Dates soon, and then we'll have the whole trifecta. You
0: guys should do uh fifty first Dates, another Adam Sandler flick. I feel like there are actually maybe multiple Adam Sandler movies that take place in Hawaii there's also one with him and jennifer aniston
2: just go with it is that what that movie's called
0: could be
1: that's the name of a movie
0: yeah okay cool that's step one um jack and jill Uh, i believe (laughs) takes place on a cruise could i don't know where the cruise is is
1: going safari in africa i never
2: saw blended
1: oh the do-over is in hawaii isn't it like his first netflix movie or is it in costa rica
2: I can't speak to that. This is here nor there. <laughs> that's the one where David Spade. There's that's You're the one thinking David the wrong Spade right? Missy. No,
1: <laughs> I might be thinking of. The I wrong actually, Missy.
2: I kind of laughed a lot watching that movie. But um, uh, what Bethy? What was the name of the movie you just said?
1: The Do Over. That's the one of yeah. David Spade being like a meek fella.
2: Yeah, The Do Over has this legendary moment where uh, Adam Sandler and David Spade are on like a yacht. And there is a yacht, maybe sixty yards away, occupied only by beautiful women. And David Spade is like sad or something, and so he like takes his penis out to show it to the other boat, uh, and they laugh at him for having, I guess, like a small wiener. And then Adam Sandler shoots them with a flare gun. <laughs> <laughs> like it, this is a movie, <laughs> yeah. and it's like in the last several years. What?
1: Uh I watched the Drew Over at a bar at the back door, the gay bar in that i used to do shows that they <laughs> wow. after after a play i did they just put the do-over on the screen and like started playing music and stuff and that was that was what the rest of the night was for some people
2: what did they think about the scene where um adam sandler doesn't like that someone's laughing at his friend's doodle and so he <laughs> shoots them with a flare gun that's like sweet of him like, that's... <laughs>
1: yeah that's
0: friendship 101 that's like male friendship that's that's beautiful
1: the other thing that's very valley about this movie, besides the 818 area codes that abound, is it features uh, a Studio City, like, legendary restaurant that I'm so sad I never got to go to, Le Petit Chateau, the, the, where he fucks up the bathroom. Yes. Oh,
0: man. That was, like,
1: this, like, you know, famous-ish, like, locally famous French restaurant mm. that... Um, I always wanted to go to, but it closed at the end of 2019. Did they
2: close because Adam Saturday Sandler into. destroyed the bathroom?
1: Mm-hmm. They couldn't financially recover <laughs> yeah. from
0: that. The damages slowly spiraled over the course of the 18 years. He actually did structural damage and there was like a leak. Yeah, it was a load-bearing toilet. <laughs> <laughs> I love the uh, something like a really like subtle part of that the restaurant scene that i think is really funny is adam sandler he's just like going off about this radio host that he really likes (laughs) dj justice dj justice and he's like it's really awesome like he just he tells it how it is like he's like there's something so funny to me about people that like are really meek but listen to like howard stern or something and just like this guy is so epic like he just it, it's like so telling it's like very revealing of like barry Egan's uh whole deal i think where like there's someone that talks on the radio and that like tells it like it is and he just like that's his release and he's like he just stands as one guy and she's patiently just being like
2: I think she's just happy that he's talking, you know, but at at the end of, at the end of that exchange, the thing he says that's so funny to me and sticks with me is he goes, DJ Justice, man, he cuts you down to size. (laughs) (laughs) That's so funny.
1: It's, it's so funny because there's so often in real life, there are conversations like that where you're just saying, I heard something funny and I would like to tell you about it. Like, technically we're doing it right the fuck now. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But in, in a movie, you never see that because it's not, um, interesting. Yeah. (laughs) And so to have this like moment that it's like, it makes it so mm, cringy, but like relatable specifically. It's like, Oh, I have done this and it must have been this, uh, unengaging for the person I was doing it to. (laughs) And it like, you, you you start to (laughs) feel implicated a little bit, but also like, uh, a certain amount of compassion for him because this is something that we have all done.
0: Before, yeah, is
1: explain a joke from the radio.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's that's an interesting way of putting it. Yeah, I like that's
2: I love that. <laughs> um, I when, when I was living in Iowa before I moved to LA, there was a six month stint where I was working as an on air personality at the regional hard rock radio station, Laser 103.3 FM. <laughs> what and i was (laughs) it was just like yeah like just clear channel it was like creed hinder uh uh, the slipknot album when they stopped screaming but um there was a shock jock (laughs) on the station and the one time i had to go to a meeting he was like making jokes the whole time and i didn't laugh uh and he told the like my boss that i was an asshole oh fuck uh Anyway, hey, I. When you were on air, like. Yeah, yeah, I would say. Listen
1: to that voice, Jeremy. Of course he was on air.
0: <laughs> I was just going to say, I mean, I'm sure people tell you this all the time, but you just, you have a great voice and it's at, you sound like you could be a chop chop if you wanted to be. <laughs> like, just not like the content of what you say, but I think, <laughs> like, you just sort of have this, uh, uh, deep. <laughs> it's sort of maleficous. powerful mellifluous mo- voice. I thought you
2: were going to say Maleficent, B- Bethy. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was mostly this saying sort of uh, evil voice. <laughs> uh, you're listening to Laser 103.3 FM. Up next is Bring Me the Horizon. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and then, I just sat there until 6am and then would like almost drive into a ditch on my way home. <laughs>
1: Um, I also used to do radio, but it was like local volunteer public radio, and my strongest memory of reading on air was like we would have to do the underwritings of like this. This show is brought to you by, and the one that would always we would always have trouble not laughing through was it was a restaurant called Bucetto's Smiling Teeth, <laughs> 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 and they always wanted us to feature their Zorba the Pizza. Oh my uh. god. And so I had, it was like, it has Kalamata olives and artichokes and feta. That's Zorba the pizza from Buccetto's Smiling Teeth. <laughs> I, I still get upset saying Smiling Teeth. <laughs> it's like the opposite of cellar that. door. Like, oh.
0: Yeah. Smiling Teeth. <laughs> teeth don't smile. Because your
1: lips are what smile to reveal your the
0: teeth-, teeth. Yes.
1: The teeth don't move.
0: Your teeth can only be like (laughs) touching or open. Like, it's not, you can't
2: smile. Yeah, fuck, that's cool. Um, (laughs) There's radio in the valley. Uh,
0: Okay, that's good to know.
2: This was great. I think we did it. Jeremy, thanks so much for doing this. If people want to find you online and continue the conversation. (laughs) Continue the conversation with me. <laughs> hey Jeremy, I have some questions about watching movies at the bar. What did you think
0: about this part? Uh, what's your What's your handle, man? You can find me at Jeremy Levick. Which is my name, and uh, yeah, DM me and ask me questions about bars or movies
1: or the Valley because um, he's an expert now.
0: Yeah, I know a lot of stuff about the Valley now. And Michael J. Fox. ask me what Michael J Fox was (laughs) up to uh
2: Bethy do you are you on are you online do you have internet
1: yeah um it's my internet's okay you know there's occasional outages but nothing not too much to complain about but you can find me on twitter at BethyBSQU or on instagram um at Bethy Squires and Thomas you have a twitter
2: I do, yeah. Uh, you can find me at uh, at handsome underscore pal uh, p a l and uh, Bethy. Back to you. The show. Do we have social media?
1: Show sure have social media. It's at movie bar pod, all one word on Twitter, and at movie bar underscore pod on Instagram.
2: There's a lot of inside industry type stuff uh, if you check out those.
1: It's yeah, real thinking follows.
2: So, Jeremy, thanks again. We we talked before this about the new weekly sign-off, and you said that you would, would, wanted to do it.
0: Yeah. You yeah, want to do the new sign-off? Yeah. You want me to do it? The one that we
2: practice? Yeah. Do you want us to count you down? <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Bethy, count him down from five, just okay. so he's got...
1: Five, four, three, two, one.
2: Hey, you're watching,
0: uh, nope, you're listening to the podcast. Uh, We're Tom and Bethy, and you're listening. You're no longer listening to the podcast no more. Have a good one.
1: No notes. Perfect. (laughs)
2: Watching Movies at the Bar is edited by Colin Jenkins, with show art by Lindsay Farrell, and that theme you hear at the top? That's Quentin Mulligan.